Hello and welcome to the Golf Shake Podcast. My name is Kieran Clark, coming to you on a beautiful day here in the home of golf, St Andrews, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague and co-host, Owen Davis. Owen, hello. Hello, Kieran. How are you? Uh, you, you've already got the weather in there. What a surprise! I, I feel like every time it's sunny in St Andrews, it just ends the podcast immediately. And you know, I think you know the listeners back home, if they listen to us on a weekly basis, basis can presume that it must be absolutely chucking it with rain, uh, chucking it down with rain in St Andrews if it doesn't get mentioned within the first two sentences. Is, is that correct? <laughs> Well, you could say that, and that's a very cynical viewpoint to have. And I'm disappointed that you'd be so cynical. I think that's quite a lazy attitude to have, Owen. But uh, you're probably correct about that. But I do like to mention when when it is nice, because I think people have a a false perception about the weather in Scotland, particularly in St Andrews, and I like to try and address that, that actually it's not as as dull and depressing as you think it is. Often it can be, but today it's quite glorious. And, of course, it's always glorious to talk to you you in the podcast, obviously, and we have a lot to go through on this uh, week episode obviously we have all the tour news and of course one of the main talking points coming from the latest events in the tour and really it's been kind of bubbling now for years and it's kind of becoming more of a a kind of wider discussion is around slow play on the tour and uh, how long players are taking to get around the six hour rounds the lengthy routines is that affecting golf sort of watchability on television even for fans on the site of the golf course as well. Is that bad for the game? Is it seeping into the junior game and the amateur game? And how is it going to affect the game going forward in the coming years? Because in the end, obviously, we know ourselves from golf shake surveys, people talk about how long golf takes as being a prohibiting factor as to them playing the game and playing more regularly. So perhaps it's a wider issue, not just the tour, but the lower level too. So we'll look at that in greater detail. Obviously, we're also going to have an interview on the podcast as well that Owen recorded at the PGA Merchandise Show back in January uh, with Echo Golf, looking at their philosophy, their brand philosophy and their new shoes for this year. And of course, we'll have a little bit of chat as well about some of the the, the new irons that you're now seeing emerging onto the market. Some of these new hollow uh, construction irons, which are very um, expensive, but they're becoming increasingly prevalent and uh, I would say also popular too. So Owen will give you the bit of the insight behind those and some of the latest releases, including the Ping G700. So Owen, firstly, we'll nip into the slow play debate. And as I said, they're obviously uh, really emerging from the, sort of the tour events in recent weeks, particularly on the PGA Tour. People have been watching some of the long rounds. I think it kind of really stem from, if you remember, back at Torrey Pines for the Farmers Insurance Open, right at the end of the tournament. We had J.B. Holmes in the 18th hole there, a par five. Over his second shot, he spent, I think it was four minutes before playing a shot. He was considering what he was going to do. And in the end, he made the wrong decision anyway. So, And, then, and Alex Norn, his playing partner, was distracted by that, potentially at least, dropped a shot or failed to, failed to birdie the hole, failed to win the tournament. So it was controversial. It was um, it seems, it seemed a very selfish moment from JB Holmes. Of course, some players in the tour came out and defended him, saying, well, you're playing for a million dollars. You're playing to win a big tournament. I would do the same in that situation and so on. Also, kind of wider discussion as well on the tours. Uh, rounds are getting longer and longer and longer. Uh, we're seeing players on the tour who have been kind of scapegoated by that, the likes of Kevin Na or Patrick Cantley, guys who have very elongated routines who take a very long time once they're addressable to actually play. And that's kind of adding uh, minutes onto each round every 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 day. And that's is it inhibiting viewers and is it inhibiting other players? How do we all feel about that? And obviously how it seeps into the game. So on looking at the tour, first of all, uh, obviously there's a wider discussion. Yeah. People are having discussions. It's been there for a long time now, but it seems to be becoming more prominent right now, perhaps because it's a, a slow news week. I don't know. People are, people are talking about it. So 
does the tour have a slow play problem? Is it as bad as it's made out to be? And what are the solutions to it at the highest level? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think, yes, number one, the tour has a slow play problem. Um, it is an issue when TV rounds are taking six hours. I think that's way, 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 way too long. Uh, obviously, the European tour has it as well. So it's not, uh, mm-hmm. it's not uh, you know, exclusive to the PGA tour. But I think it, it, is a, it is a bigger problem on the PGA tour probably. And yeah, it mm-hmm. is a problem. You you watch a round of golf. You you don't want to watch it from start to finish for six hours. I mean, that's just way that's way too long. So it's a problem. However, I'm not sure it's quite um, as big a problem uh, as people make out. And I do think there is not you know there's not all the blame to be attached to the players. And you know we were discussing this, weren't we? Uh, that I think there's some there's some issues that they're facing as players um, mm-hmm. that especially on the PGA tour. Uh, which is causing the rounds to be slower. So I think number one for me um, is these courses are massive golf courses. They're big golf courses. Mm-hmm. If you've played golf in America or you've played golf in Europe in some of these resort courses that are built for buggy play, there's some long walks uh, between the tees. It takes a long time to get mm-hmm. from one point to another. So I think you know by definition, if we're used to back home a medal, a three-ball medal being a four-and-a-half-hour round in the UK, a four-hours, 20 minutes, which is fairly typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people will play quicker than that, and there'll be some older members' courses um, where you know you can really run around quite quickly. But generally, four hours fifteen, four hours twenty is typical. You know, if you've got to walk um, in between all these tees, if a couple hundred yards, which is typical in the states, you, you know, you're looking at a five-hour round straight away. So before you've even started, you've got five hours there for the players. So that's that's one excuse I'm going to give them. Uh, second is the crowds. The crowds in the US are huge mm-hmm. uh, right now. Uh, especially the TV groups. So we're always used to watching on TV either the feature groups or we're watching the guys trying to win the tournament on Saturday and Sundays. By definition, they're going to have bigger crowds because of the feature groups or they're trying to win the tournament. Mm-hmm. People are watching them. So the big crowds in America. There's a lot going along. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of backing off shots. There's a lot of hooping and hollering. So that has got worse over the last few years, um, you know, and they need to do something to stamp that out. Yeah. But that is going to upset players. Uh, and they're going to take longer. And then the third reason I think they've got an excuse is players are, are longer than they used to be. And we talked about this on the podcast last week about how far people hit the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the demands from TV is that we want to see drivable par fours, we want to see reachable par fives, we want to see people going for it over water, we want to see eagles, all this sort of stuff. Um, the par threes are a lot longer nowadays. You know, two hundred yard plus par threes all over the place with water on them. So difficult. All those things mean that the players are having to wait a lot longer. So as soon as you get a drive on par four, two of them might lay up. They've got to go and wait for the guy, the Bubba Watson, that goes for it. Um, that is going to slow up. And the same with the par fives. And when they start backing these holes up against each other, that's when you see two or three groups on the tee. And that happens you know, in the, in the amateur game and the elite level as well. If we play a course, we will get backed up as soon as we've got a drive on par mm-hmm. four, followed by a par five, followed by a par three. It gets super slow. So... I think, yes, they are too long and they need to address how, you know this and how they speed it all up in terms of for the viewer. But I think for the golf professionals, it's it, you know you see it in its extreme mm-hmm. because we're watching feature groups and TV groups and there's lots of reasons it's happening uh, more and more da- nowadays as opposed to 10 or 15 years ago. So, yeah, that's my take on it. So bad, but not as bad as maybe people are making out. And, you know, the pros generally aren't as slow as people are making mm-hmm. out. So Yeah. 
That would be my take. <laughs> There's my rant. Go off. Let's go off your soapbox on. But yeah, I think you're probably right there. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think that was a bit of a monologue there from Owen, but I think he was probably quite accurate of what he was saying. Um, is that, yeah, I think the players, perhaps the, the criticism about them individually is perhaps a bit extreme where the wider context of the actual, the, as you say, the golf courses, the course setups, the whole kind of infrastructure of a tournament of all the spectators. And you mentioned it as well, kind of the some of the noise that the players hear. And that was another kind of this discussion that's sort of been uh, around recently, where of course you had the kind of extreme example of the Phoenix Open a few weeks ago, where it is raucous and very loud, and that's kind of part and parcel of that tournament. But that attitude, that behaviour, seems to be kind of seeping its way into other events. And at Riviera for the uh, the Genesis Open recently, you had obviously you had Justin Thomas playing with uh, Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods in the first two days. You know, an incredible free ball. What a group that is! One that everybody wanted to go and follow and watch. And Rory talked about the noise out there, how kind of loud it was, and how distracting it was. And then Justin Thomas went a little bit further, where he kind of criticised uh, the kind of the, the comments that he was hearing. Some of the it wasn't very savoury, that sort of thing, and it was it was distracting. It wasn't an atmosphere he particularly enjoyed. So you can see through that context, let's like say those featured groups, the ones that we see on television more frequently because they're bigger names or they're in contention. As you can see that why the players have to you know slow down or start again or kind of insulate themselves in a different way and why they might take a little bit longer. Of course, there are players in the two who do play at quite a rapid pace as well. It's not just the slow guys. We kind of pinpoint them and pick them out, but there are faster players too. But I think a concern people would have, Owen, is that a lot of people obviously watch the tour. That's what, how they're kind of introduced to the game. They want to try and emulate what the professionals do and young players at the junior golf or even young players emerging through the, the top amateur game and so on. You know, is, is it, Could you see it being a problem in the longer term is that players at the lower levels, younger levels, start to accept six-hour rounds as being the norm for them as well? Yeah, I think that's an issue. I haven't seen that arise in recent years, particularly mm-hmm. In England, anyway, I think there was a problem um, a few years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, uh, where rounds were getting longer and longer in the kind of elite amateur events in England golf, and obviously these feed through to tournament professionals and people like Andy Sullivan would have been playing those. Mm-hmm. Um, and and England golf quite quick to kind of try and stamp on it, um, and I think when they do stamp on it, it really works. So at the start of every tournament, you will be given a sheet with where you should be on the golf course at that time. Uh, compared to your tee off and how long it should take to play each hole and and they kind of stick to that and you get put on the clock you'll get a referee come around and put you on the clock pretty quickly and um you know and people speed up and they get back in position and they play and i think you know we just need to see a bit more of that maybe on tour mm-hmm. um happening and you know players realizing they will get fined or they'll get dock shots if they're if they're slow and they're out of position and you know, if that feeds down then to the amateur game um, and people realise that they can't be out of position and it's bad and they will get penalised for it, it just won't happen anymore. So I think that's... I'd, I'd probably like to see a, a bit harsher punishments mm-hmm. on tour and I think it will, that will weed it out of the amateur game in general. Um, and I think it's a different thing between maybe that top end of the amateur game where a lot of it's about process going through um, what you need to do. And bear in mind, these guys hit a lot less shots than the average mm-hmm. golfer. Um, you know, so if you're t- looking at a three ball, the average golfer is shooting 90 and these guys are shooting 70. That's mm. 60 shots uh, around less. So they should be around yeah. pretty quickly. Um, so I think there's a big difference between slow play in the professional and elite amateur game and the club golfer or 
dramatic golfer game where a lot of it is down to just not being ready to play or not leaving the clubs on the right mm-hmm. side of the green and and just being aware that it's your turn and playing ready yeah. golf. So um, I, th- I think, yeah, there is two things there. And the other thing to say is that the RNA um, introduced into the amateur game um, in the past couple of years, I think England Golf have done it as well, mm-hmm. is ready golf. So just getting up there and playing when you're ready to go. And I think that's a really good initiative. This kind of, you know, playing to honour, all that sort of stuff. Maybe that's really important in match play. But for the rest of it, let's just get up and, and get going. So I think the more of that we can adopt, um, you know, in our grassroots, the more we'll hopefully see that mentality feed mm. through to the tour. But um, they need to do something in the US certainly to address all this kind of, this, the, the other reasons I talked about, slow play, and then I think we'll see round times coming down. So it's kind of a 2 point. Yeah, attack, I think you're I right there. And uh, yeah. ready golf again, it's more more or less just common sense and trying to good etiquette really and understanding obviously, again, it's just common yeah. sense. I think it's something that I think in the end, uh, it has been successful at the golf clubs that have pushed it. Uh, we've, we've seen evidence of that before. I think it's something that if all golfers can have adopted it then. Because in the end, like you say, not no, nobody really wants to spend you know all these hours going around a golf course. But of course, on a Saturday morning, if you're playing a medal round at a, a local golf club, it can be you know almost like the tour. <laughs> it can be backlogged and there's so many groups going out. Maybe they can space out the tee times a little bit more. You know, the, the things you can do as well as just trying to penalise people for it. And I think on the tour, you're right there about the... the yeah. And the PGA Tour, I think it was true, that there was actually a 20-year gap between the PGA Tour actually handing out uh, shot penalties for slow play, which seems astonishing. I think it was uh, 1990s until only a year or two ago where they actually had another one. But So the Tour has its guidelines and its regulations, but they don't seem to actually enforce them in any great extent. And I do remember, of course, you may recall, at the Masters uh, five years ago, where we had the young Chinese player Guan Tiang Lang, who was only was he fourteen at the time, and he was given a penalty for slow play. Yeah. So it seemed that the, the, that was the Masters tournament. They run their own event, but it seemed very odd that they sort of made an example out of a fourteen-year-old boy and not the world number one or someone like that. Where That's well, the Masters they do, yeah, well, that was a, a controversial <laughs> Masters for a variety of reasons. One because of that, and two because you had the the bizarre Tiger Woods drop incident, and uh, he should have been disqualified, but he wasn't yeah. that sort of thing. So yeah, they run their event their own way, but the PGA Tour could certainly do more about it. And I think there is a, a kind of a clamor and uh, within the public to have more of those that action. But I'm not sure the tour is particularly receptive to it because the PGA Tour commissioner Jay Monahan uh, addressed uh, the GB Holmes situation particularly. And he sort of felt there was no real issue there. At that stage of a tournament, right at the end, the guy's under pressure, he's trying to win, that sort of thing. Maybe maybe it was a Thursday morning, I don't know, it might be a bit different. But it was, uh, yeah, I think there's a, it's a, it's more of a, it's not, it's more of a complex issue than just saying everyone's slow and, you know, throw out the shot penalties and everything's a disgrace. It is, there are, the different levels of the game have different expectations and different players and it's all different in that way. So it's, yeah, I think it is, yeah. to, you can separate each of them, break them all down, and try and address them individually, and that's probably going to be the the main uh, solution to addressing the slow play at all levels of the game. Uh, I think you're right there about the tour players. Perhaps we're a little bit harsh at times on them. Uh, mind you, I'm, I'm sure they can cope with it. You know, they're they're yeah. pretty lucky guys too. You know, they're there, they're earning lots of money playing in the tour. I'm sure they won't mind a couple of us guys like us complaining about them, would they? So I think they'll cope with that. A few mugs on Twitter coming out with comments. I'm sure they'll, they'll cope with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think there's a, a a wider discussion to have there perhaps we're not quite delving into the beneath the surface I think we're, people are a little bit too superficial with it it's more to it than meets the eye initially so yeah a good discussion there we'll, i'm sure we'll come back to it at some point in the future but oh and now moving on to that echo golf interview you were you met um 
this gentleman over at the PGA show, uh, Timo Volraff, and he spoke about the philosophy behind Echo Golf and the shoes yeah. and all the rest of it. So go and introduce that interview for us there and tell us what people can expect to hear from Timo. Yeah, so this is, uh, I mean, people will be very aware of Echo Shoes in general, obviously not uh, specifically a golf shoe company, but uh, are big in golf and make some absolutely fantastic golf shoes. I've used um, several pairs over the last few years uh, in testing. I think they're absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And they, they just have an interesting take on how they go about making these shoes compared to some of the other manufacturers. They, are, uh, they have... Um, an office in Scandinavia where they're very nature driven. Mm-hmm. So they will actually go out into the countryside, look at nature, look at how it works and how that's, how, how it's working in the environment they're in and then bring that back into the office and produce that sort of stuff. And they've got 3d printers, uh, they have their own tanneries, their own herds of animals to produce the leather they, they need to produce for the shoes. So, um, they see the process from the start all the way through to the finish. And I just think they're quite an interesting company uh, to talk to. So uh, that was the premise of this kind of very quick interview, talking to him about uh, specifically how they go about, um, you know, making a new shoe, um, which I think, like I said, is an interesting process. And then we'll just touch on a couple of the new models this year, the Bion Hybrid 3, which I think will be very successful, uh, and also um, their new Cool Shoe, which has uh, a different take on uh, breathability. So um, this is that interview. Yes, yeah, so we'll join Owen now with uh, Timo Vora from Echo. Uh, Timo, Echo, welcome to the Golf Shape Podcast. Thank uh, you. I want to ask a few questions about Echo and the, and the philosophy behind the company and what you know what stands you out. And I know there's some two in particular things um, from your journey of the shoe from the very start to the end. Yeah. So, so how, do, how does that work for you guys? Yeah, so our philosophy is um, we are inspired by nature and we only use premium materials. But then, that is just one part of the story. We also focus on highly innovative outsole and midsole units. Um, we produce them, we prototype them in our own factories. So, our equation, when you look at a shoe, is premium materials times dynamic comfort is natural motion, which is the essence of our brand. It's all about nature and natural motion. You want people on the golf course or wherever they are to be able to move their feet as nature wanted to be. So that's the key to us. Yeah, I know, I mean, I've heard stories before about um, uh, Echo going out in nature, coming back, uh, working on cat designs, whatever it might be, 3D printing them, yeah. and, and then putting on a shirt and trying it. Does that, does that happen? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Our, our designers, they, I mean, we are in, in, in southern Denmark, there's a lot of nature happening. It's you look into the sky, you see patterns in the sky, or you look at the ocean, you see when when the tide is coming out uh, in or going out, you see patterns there, and they take that, those patterns and introduce them to outsole ideas or to structures and the shoes. Yeah, um, and I think that's most obvious in the spider spider grips. Yeah, you, exactly. You can see that you know, it looks like a natural thing. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, that's a philosophy that runs right through the company, is it, from, from start to finish. And, yeah. Um, how much does the crossover, obviously Echo isn't just a golf shoe company. No, exactly. It's a shoe company. Yeah. How much does what you what, what you do outside of golf cross over into golf and vice versa? Is, yeah. is there a lot of shared learning there? How does that work? It is, actually. And the interesting part is that when we introduced our first hybrid shoe, when Fred Couples went out with the hybrid shoe, no socks, it was a revolution to the, to the golf universe. And we were the first brand doing hybrid outsoles. 
and that inspired also our street shoe business to be more fresh and to be leading edge actually. So we're now seeing that the street shoe brands is stepping up quite big, big steps for them and we now need to give up with them being the fresh and being the inspiring part of the company and investing into new new technologies and we what we share is the passion for leather because we are basically all of them all of us are shoemakers so we have a great passion for shoes but also for the materials which is used in the shoes so we have our own tanning leather tanning um, facilities and that's also a big part of the business echo leather is a own brand by themselves and they develop together with specialists but also with external companies amazing leather we can use it for our shoes and uh, participate from from this research and that's quite unusual certainly local it doesn't happen in the industry no yeah. oh it's true and i understand that um, gore is now throughout the range yeah is it? Yes. that's right which is, which is very important yeah uh, we were just talking off the podcast a little bit about um, the amount of wet weather obviously in europe but also the dew in the summer and and right. the need for, for all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what we also figure. We, we said we have performance golf shoes and you want to wear them no matter what. So Gore-Tex, we have a long-term tradition with them, working together with them in golf side, but also on the street shoe business. So it's essential for us. We said we make, we're going to do this step. It's going to cost, but it's worth it, totally. And um, Farm 3, obviously a very successful product, you talk a little bit about uh, what's, what that's going to look like for 2018 and yeah. uh, why yeah. golfers from a performance point of view in particular should be using that shoe. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the good thing is the combination of our premium leather and Gore-Tex really puts the, the key benefits together. It's breathable, but it's also 100% waterproof. So your feet stay dry from the inside uh, and the outside. Fantastic. And the transactional, uh, um, despite trying the outside, sorry, um, gripping, that's... Right, the outsole. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the new tri-fi grip yes. outsole we developed. Um, again, there was key focus was to have a great performance on course, but also have a shoe you can wear off course. So it's a hybrid outsole. It's really durable. It's got three zones. The one for durability um, and two other ones. One for stability. So wherever you are on the golf course, you keep really stable. But then having a stable setup is only one part of the golf game because you also want to be agile to have a good follow through through the swing. So it has this rotation line on the, on the front toe toe part which enables you to move your foot quite easy upwards and still have a, a decent grip. Fantastic. So, mate, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck in 2018. And thank you. Coming on the Golf Shack podcast. Thank you. And that was Owen there talking to Timo Volraff from Echo Golf, uh, looking at the philosophy behind the company and their, their principles in creating some of the, the best shoes, I think, on the marketplace these days for golf and also for general sports as well. And they do, they do some great work there. And Owen has tested them. And actually, Owen has a lot of uh, shoe reviews on the website and on YouTube. He has his top five for this year as well. So worth checking out there too. But Owen, kind of moving on to 
other kind of gear news now. And of course, you mentioned to me before the podcast started about the kind of the hollow construction irons. Uh, you recently reviewed the Ping G700. That's on YouTube and also on the website, uh, golfshake.com. And uh, more of the brands, PXG and so on, titles are bringing out their versions of these irons. So, oh, and give us a little, bit, a little bit of insight. For someone like me who doesn't know too much about this sort of stuff, yeah. the technical side of it and so on, give me some insight behind these hollow construction irons and why are the brands now producing them in greater regularity? Okay, so this is something that has sprung up in the last few years, and it's PXG that really started this, although I'm sure someone will pop up and say someone did it before. Uh, they may well have done. Um, often that is the case in golf. A lot of the technology is uh, recycled and upscaled, so um, <laughs> it may well have been done before, and I apologise if it has. Certainly I think it's probably been done in some of the utility irons. I think some of the manufacturers would lay claim to that. And talking to utility irons, that's the key really to this is understanding that these are built for distance and forgiveness, exactly what utility irons are built for. And mm -hmm. uh, what manufacturers are trying to do is take some of the learning that they've had from production of fairway woods, hybrids and drivers uh, and take that into the iron range in clubs and try and make them look attractive and pleasing. So, um, you know, we have had this sort of thing before, and you will have seen full sets of hybrids. And, and really, it is a progression on from that into uh, making them look a lot more attractive and much more like a traditional iron. So these are heads that are hollow in the middle uh, and have usually a different face uh, then welded onto the rest of the body. And what they're trying to do is trying to create some extra ball speed off this face that is unsupported in a traditional way. So they're trying to get the face to spring and have a trampoline effect. And I don't think they're anywhere near the legal limits on these faces for irons, whereas obviously they're at them with drivers right now. So mm -hmm. they're trying to really work out how they can make these face spring uh, a lot more and get a lot more distance. And, and what they've done is make these hollow constructions are unsupported faces. Now, they're difficult to build. They're expensive. You have to use more expensive materials. So one example I'm going to use is the G700, which I recently tested, and that reviews on YouTube and on Goldshake. If you uh, go to our pages and search for it, you'll find that. Um, and they use a miraging steel uh, kind of welding onto a 17.4 steel body. So 17.4, a lot of irons are made of this steel, very common, uh, fairly soft steel to use in cast golf clubs. Uh, but a miraging steel you will almost always find on a fairway wood face, maybe on some hybrids, more expensive material, uh, a lot stronger than a 17.4, so therefore you can use it to spring uh, the face. It doesn't need to be supported. But that adds to the cost, and the whole manufacturing engineering behind these irons adds to the cost. Um, so we're seeing a lot of these spring up, but a lot of them are very expensive. I think the Ping G700 is about 40% more expensive than the G400 range, so not cheap. The PXGs are obviously into the... The multiples are thousands of pounds. Yeah. You've got uh, uh, you've got some others out there which are quite expensive. They're all upwards of a thousand pounds basically for these sets of iron. Mm. So they're not cheap at all. But the, what I've seen in testing, you will get some extra ball speed off these. It also brings the speed down. And the difficulty they have with this is how to make these irons sound good and look good. And I think they're starting to crack it. So you'll see that PXG TaylorMade with their P790s have filled these with foam and gel. And that sort of thing dampens the sound down. The Ping G700 doesn't have that, and it has a very distinct sound. So if you ever test these irons, go and hit a P790 next to a P, uh, sort of next to a Ping G700, and you'll get two completely different sounds. Both hollow constructions, uh, but one's got some dampening material in it. Another set is a Titleist TMB, similar construction as well. Very expensive, fifteen hundred pounds. Uh, materials in there, 
used are, are hugely expensive. So it's an interesting iron category. I think it's brand new, really, for 2018. Now that you've got a lot of manufacturers making mm. these, uh, I haven't decided what I'm. You know, I don't think anyone's decided what they're going to call this category, but it's definitely apart from your traditional game improvement irons uh, in there. So. Uh, yeah, that's new. So it's something definitely. Um, if you're thinking about buying a new set of irons and you've got deep pockets, um, you want to you want to have a look Very at these. Uh, there is some performance benefits. Yeah, if you're if you know if you're if you're a player looking for forged irons and loads of feedback, you, you're not going to want a set of these. But generally, uh, if you want some game improvement benefits, some uh, help getting the ball in the air, some extra distance, some extra stability, uh, helping you hit the ball straighter, these are an iron you need. To, you know, these are a category of iron you need to look at. So. Um, yeah, super hot, super expensive, um, but definitely work, which is why they're all making them. So, uh, yeah, an interesting development uh, in you know a manufacturing industry that doesn't have maybe tons and tons of uh, technology jumps. This is maybe one of them that that is actually um, real and and true for the consumer. Yeah, well, I was about so, to say there actually as well, and that you're right in terms of um, in terms of the. Um, and technology and so on trying to put golf the industry cynics would kind of say that the golf industry doesn't really have um much in the way of technical uh they've pushed it as far as they can go for a lot of the technology they already have but it's obviously someone something a little bit different so perhaps it's kind of an innovation there as well and that's perhaps why they're pushing it so heavily right now they're getting all involved in it because it is something that's new and fresh and they can actually do something exciting with it where whereas perhaps with some of the other categories where yeah. the technology is really Right now, it's probably as good as it's going to get. Maybe the odd little refinement here or there, and that seems to be the way the, the market is. So, yeah, interesting stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you, you agree with me for once. There we go. That's <laughs> all this equipment knowledge. I, know, I, I almost sound like I know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Owen, that's kind of half the battle, really. If you can sound like you know what you're talking about, that's really all that matters. So that's fine. You sound like a marketeer, Kieran. All I know, I know. <laughs> Hidden talent. See, who knew? So, yeah. So, again, go and check out those reviews on Golf Shake on the YouTube channel as well. Owen's there, and he displays his wonderful ball-striking skills and shares his technical <laughs> knowledge, and uh, he's a man to listen to. Uh, but, kind of before we finish off this week's podcast, I'll have a quick uh, little jump into the tour news for this week, really. And, of course, last weekend we had the Genesis Open that I mentioned earlier that Bubba Watson kind of emerged from the – Wherever he's been for the past couple of years, he's kind of slipped off the radar. A guy who, of course, was a real fixture in the world's top 10, world's top five even, your two-time Masters winner, very idiosyncratic player. Not everybody's Pat's favourite player, but certainly one of the most unique players in the tour and uh, always interesting to watch uh, for the way he shapes the ball and this kind of approach to it, which says... Uh, Kind of, a, he's obviously some kind of genius in there somewhere. It doesn't perhaps uh, he doesn't sound like it when he talks, but I think there's a there's a real talent behind that behind those that facade, and uh, there's a real skill there. But he came back and he won at Riviera for the third time, which is obviously quite an achievement. He has a he's kind of a horses for courses sort of player. He wins at certain venues, that that kind of thing, and this is one of them right up there. And uh, he played really well. He was the one guy kind of stood out from the pack on Sunday, very bunched up leaderboard. And he kind of came through there, showed his experience and uh, won fairly comfortably in the end. So, oh, and you know, Bubba Watson's a very unique player. He fell out of the world's top 100. He's really fallen away entirely. He spoke about potentially retiring. He claims to have had some sort of health issues last year. It led to a massive loss in weight. Uh, it wasn't particularly well documented at the time. So, you know, oh, and Bubba's a, a remarkable player in so many different ways. So how would you how would you assess him right now? Getting this win under his belt, we're coming towards the Masters, and I said he's a horses for courses sort of guy. He's won at Augusta twice before. 
What are the odds on a three-peat, a treble of Masters Green Jackets for Bubba Watson? Well, they're a lot lower than they were three months ago. That's the Well, yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, there's no reason he can't do it. If he's winning a PGA Tour event the size of um, Genesis Open, Riviera, um, it's not that much of a leap to see him winning the Masters, is it? He knows what he's doing. Like I say, he is horses for courses. Um, it, you know, he loves that place. He's got the power. He's got the, the shape in particular. Uh, mm-hmm. hitting that cut. I know he can obviously hit it both ways and to the extreme, as we saw with him hooking that wedge onto the, the green in the playoff. But he's got <laughs> he, he's very comfortable hitting a cut and being a left-hander, uh, a cut, a long cut round Augusta is about as good as it gets. So, um, you know, if he really is back, fit, healthy, which I think he must be, um, yeah, he can go and win. He'll be, you know, be climbing those world rankings again. So, yeah, I, you know, I think I think he'll be right up there. Why not? Yeah, I think so. I think he's number 40. And as you say there, you know, Augusta National being the one venue that we return to each year, it does have that kind of horses for courses sort of feel to it where you sort of look out for the same guys every year. The guys who've had amazing records there year on year, like Phil Mickelson and so on. And that kind of raises a, a kind of a, a quick kind of question there. You mentioned uh, Bubba being obviously a left-handed player. He plays mm. a bit cut and so on. And, and Augusta National, for a right-handed player, historically has been viewed as being at a right-to-left golf course. So some, particularly the par fives tend to be kind of right-to-left, and that's a, yeah. off the tee, and that's a favourite players there. And of course, in the past sort of 15 years, we've seen Bubba win there twice. We've seen Phil yeah. Mickelson win there three times. We, I know he's not as long, but we saw Mike Weir win there in 2003 as well, our left-handed player. So do you think then, yeah. if you're a golfer going to Augusta National and if you're left-handed and you can play that big cup, do you have an advantage there at Augusta National? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, simple, simple, yes. simple <laughs> as that. And we've also seen Martin Keimer play a fade and miss about 20 cuts in a row. I mean, he's made the cut the last couple of years. But, uh, yes. you know, Hell's never won round there. Um, you know, I think Woods, when he was winning round there, was hitting the draw. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he's obviously, I think he's one way and they're here both ways. But, um, you know, he certainly in his early career was quite a big drawer of the ball, uh, dominated Augusta. Um, yeah, I, I think this, it obviously helps. Saying that, Garcia hits a fade, does he? Just hits it straight, I think. Yeah, frozen straight. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, you know, to say that you, you, you can't win hitting a fade for, for a right-hander or a drawer as left-hander is not true. But you've got a mass, you've definitely got an advantage just even playing somewhere like, you know, the 13th, you can see that. The mm-hmm. Big dog leg round. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, left-handers, obviously, the course seems to suit their eye a bit better. Um, so, yeah, I think totally you've got a big advantage. Yeah, it's quite clear. Well, anybody, if you're, if you're getting... Yeah, your, yeah, yeah, if you're, yeah, you're getting your betting tips out for uh, for Augusta in a few weeks' time, then look out for the left-handers. They're the ones to watch. Uh, cause, uh, yeah, left-hander one, two. Mixon and, and Bubba, I wonder what odds you get on that. It's a bit boring, isn't it? They've, they've both won it so many times. Give someone else a chance. You know, it's, it's... Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I don't particularly want to see either of them, <laughs> either of them win it. Oh. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's have something. We've got a new, new generation. That's it. Mixon and Woods fight it out amongst some of the... The kids would be good. That would be good, yes. Uh, that would be quite good fun. Uh, so, again, that's kind of the dream for us all. And, of course, Tiger you know, missed a cut at Riviera by quite a few shots yeah. in the end. Didn't really play very well at all. Uh, very, very much struggled, particularly on the second day. Looking out of sorts uh, with most parts of his game. And he's now going to play this week uh, another quite yeah. testing venue in PGA National for the Honda Classic. Uh, Rory McIlroy is going to be there. Ricky Fowler's defending the title. So, quite a good field there. PJ Nationals renowned for, and I hate to say it because I really hate these sort of nicknames for holes, but the bear trap at PJ National, the last two or three holes that are kind of renowned for being very difficult, and they're given that silly moniker. There's quite a few funny nicknames on the PJ Tour for holes. So we have the 
yeah. the, 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 the horrible horseshoe, I think it's called. Um, uh, yeah. The Green Mile at Quail Hollow is another one. Um, is there a snake? There's a snake pit in Innisbrook. The Copperhead course. That's the one. The snake, snake pit. But this week it's a bear trap. So we'll see how they got on this. You put you put the subtlety of Amen Corner, do you, Kieran, to, uh, to, to naming it after animals? Yeah, well, I, well, I do. I do. Well, at least Amen Corner has, feels a little bit more organic because it came from a, a journalist in the 50s who wrote about that. It seemed quite nice. But um, yeah, all, all this bear trap and you know all this nonsense, it doesn't work for me. It's a very, and I hate to. I hate to be kind of prejudiced here, but it's a very American sort of thing, isn't it? You give them things nicknames. Oh, come on. We're better than that. But anyway, this is kind of the nickname season. We get towards the Florida swing. They all have them. The first one's a bear trap. So, Owen, yep. come on, just tell me yes or no. Will Tiger make the cut this week? Yes. You think you will? Why? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I want him to. <laughs> want him to are we are we now at the state where it's just yeah, hope and expectation right now uh yeah I, as i said last week it's a process he's going through a process that he knows quite well now i think it's massively encouraging mm-hmm. that he's playing back to back i mean that is just yeah. he's nothing he couldn't have done for the last four or five years so yeah. um yeah i think really encouraging it's process he's back in florida he lives there he knows the grasses uh better than anything mm-hmm. um i'm not quite sure on his record around that course um I think he's pretty good. He won the Honda quite a few times, is he? Um, I, don't, I don't think he's ever won that event, actually. I don't think he's really played he played that often there. Bay Hill, I'm thinking of. He's won, obviously, eight times. Yeah, Bay Hill. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's just a pro- I think we're just going to have to give him some time. It's mm. a process. I mean, he throws himself in at the deep end, doesn't he? I mean, he's not like he's going back and playing a, a nationwide tour event or something like that. He's he's right in there, in, in the thick of it. Uh-huh. So, I think it's really tough for him. Um, but I think the only way he's going to get through this and back to where he wants to be is to play as much golf as he's ever played, basically. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's a really good sign that he's playing back-to-back. So we could see him play a 20-tournament schedule if he gets through this week as well, which 21 tournaments, um, you know, that, that would be massive, wouldn't it? It would be huge if he did that. And I think he just needs he needs those tournament reps. Uh, I'm going to talk about it now, reps. <laughs> it's just a process, uh, though, and that's what he says. It's a process, reps, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, he needs, he needs those reps under his under his belt. And uh, uh, I think the more tournaments he plays, the more he'll edge back towards, um, you know, there'll be one, you know, I think it was two steps forward, one step back last week, wasn't mm-hmm. it? If he takes another two steps forward this week, um, he'll be in a good place. So, that's that's yeah, that's my prediction. Okay, well, well I think I... we could talk about how that how, how bad that was last <laughs> week, uh, next week. <laughs> well, well, we'll wait and see what he does this week. Uh, hopefully, he does play be- play better because we do want to see him come back and struggle. I think building towards Augusta, yeah. if he can play, I think he's set to play at least uh, the Arnold Palmer uh, between now and then. After this yeah. week, um, who knows? Might add another one in there too. You never know. So you'll have you'll have yeah, some. I think he'll play. I think he'll play one more when he, uh, as well as the Arnold Palmer. I think he'll play. Give himself two weeks potentially yeah, before Augusta, but... and then he'll obviously head in there. Of course, he knows really well, and of course, the venue where he's won so many times. So, it'll be if he can get in there some sort of form, Rory McIlroy, of course, uh, hasn't quite hit the form that he had in the Middle East and America so far. Two kind of mediocre finishes, really. Of course, missed a cut at Pebble Beach and then finished way down the field at Riviera. So he's looking forward for to a, a bit of boost this week, and he has a very good record at PGA National. He won there back in 2012. So people are hoping to come out and. Um, and play better and get a, perhaps a win under his belt before he gets towards the World Golf Championships and Augusta as well. And of course, I must quickly say there that Owen, oh, you kind of showed your age during that uh, Tiger Woods speech where you said nationwide tour. Come on, man, that's a while yeah, ago web. now. Web. It's the web.com. That's it. 
He, he used to what else was it before? Something else was it the Nike tour before? Nike tour before then, I believe. Let's see, now we're really showing our age now, aren't we? That's it. The, kid, the kids will have no idea what we're talking about. Nah, web.com, sorry. It's a web.com. I don't even know what web.com actually is, but... I don't know me either. I don't know, yeah. The main name's something like that. I don't know. Who knows? I know. Anyway. Google it. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Google it after checking out the Golf Shake website, of course, everybody. That's obviously more important. We have all the reviews there. And uh, that's a very, very kind of crude segue there, wasn't it, by me? That was a very poor plug. But yeah, I'll do my best. So yes, go and check out Golf Shake on the website on YouTube it's all there you can listen to Owen all day if you want to and look at his face too and uh, if you really feel so obliged to do that he's there he's everywhere he's the face of golf shake for better or for worse and it's probably better than me so you know he's the best we've got that's what can we say you know so, so anyway thanks Kieran ringing endorsement as always well, of course I've got to keep your feet on the ground of course I do you know you to keep your ego in check so um, yeah so Thank you again, Owen, for joining me on the Golf Shake podcast. And everybody listen to this. We thank you again for listening. If you're playing this week, go and record your scores on, and stats on the Golf Shake score tracker. And of course, at Golf Shake, we always want you to play more and play better, if possible. Until next time, thank you. <laughs>